0: This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. This is J.G. Hertzler, General Mar talk on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today is Part 2 in our series on Harlan Ellison, looking at his work on The Outer Limits. Today we'll be, we will be discussing Ellison's first Outer Limits episode, Soldier, as well as the short story he based it on, Soldier from Tomorrow, which he also wrote. So before we get into Harlan Ellison specifically, maybe we should talk about the Outer Limits and what that was, because I know a lot of people are familiar with it. Some people not so much. Mm. I personally had never seen it up until now. So Hello? Uh, no, I mean, I mean, of course, I was familiar with the opening theme and everything like that. But you know, I was always more of a Twilight Zone. Oh
1: sure, guy. but I mean, when you're a Twilight Zone fan, you look out, you like, you hear about the Outer Limits, and then you check
0: it out. Sure, I just it never never popped up on my radar. Oh. You know, I wasn't avoiding it or anything. It just never came up. Oh. So, Max, what exactly was the Outer Limits?
1: Well, it, in in a lot of ways, it's sort of conceptually similar to the Twilight Zone. I mean, they were both anthology shows. Uh, the Outer Limits, though, was in some ways more specific and in some ways more general. The Twilight Zone was was largely directed by Rod Serling and his intention to make a show about a particular thing, to talk about ethics and morality and, and existence. And The Outer Limits was um, very specifically a science fiction anthology show. They made that very clear. Like, the episodes are science fiction, and they're going to be about what the episode needs to be about. And a lot of that was determined by like, individual stories. And the first season of The Outer Limits was largely kind of undirected and there were a lot of sort of monster episodes and in season two um, a new guy took over, it was like 1964 Brady? Ben Ben Brady Brady. Ben Brady, he took over and he, he made it in like essentially he got better people to come in and write the episodes and Harlan Ellison is one of those people and season two of The Outer Limits is actually just great there are bad episodes in it and there's more bad visual effects than you can possibly imagine but they were really doing some interesting stuff like they were they were doing stuff that the best episodes of the twilight zone did with really interesting ideas really well done storytelling really good acting and really cool explorations of concepts and in in a lot of ways it's it has a lot of the same burdens of the twilight zone which was you know TV schedule TV budget big ideas yeah soldier not even slightly outside of that scope. Humongous idea. Yeah. Shot in like six days. I don't even know how they got what they got.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it was created by Leslie Stevens, who uh, was a guy who, who who directed a movie after Our Limits had been completed called Incubus, yeah. which <laughs> is noteworthy for numerous reasons, one is that it was shot by Conrad Hall, who was That uh, would not have made my list. <laughs> I'm I'm going in order of uh craziness. You're going from least to most? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well I don't know if it's least to most, but it Conrad <laughs> Hall was a guy he actually worked on the outer limits quite a bit early on in, in the first half of uh season one. He is a an Oscar winning cinematographer, hugely influential in uh the seventies would go on to shoot things like American Beauty and Road to Perdition, which he won Oscars for. Uh, He he was a crazy guy, very well-respected in the industry. Um, And he got his start working with Leslie Stevens, doing things like Outer Limits and Incubus. Mm -hmm. Incubus is also noteworthy in that it starred William Shatner, which is probably um, where Star Trek fans might have heard of it. Or
1: maybe they saw Blade Trinity.
0: Maybe they saw Blade (laughs) Trinity, because the other thing about Incubus, which is probably most noteworthy, is the fact that it is the only film in history, so far, ever to be shot with all of its dialogue spoken in Esperanto. Right. Esperanto being the...
1: The 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 language that was invented for the purposes of being a universal language that theoretically everybody on the planet could learn, so that we would have a giant global tongue, right? And that didn't work out because it sounded silly, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 it, it didn't go down. But you know, when you're when you're pushing for a ridiculous idea like a new language that everyone should learn, you do things like make a movie in that language. Yeah. Ideally, you'd make it a really really good movie.
0: Yeah. But they made Incubus instead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Check it out. I mean, I own it because you know. On a dare. (laughs) Why not? No, no, because uh, no, I own it because someone says uh, Incubus is coming out, and I'm like, "What? You mean the movie with stars William Shatner that's in Esperanto? Esperanto? I need to buy that today."
1: And I when when I when I heard Esperanto when I heard Incubus is coming out, I was like, "Oh." I've totally got to watch that once.
0: Mm-hmm. And I did. Job now, done. Th- there, there was actually a, a time I, w- when I was at school, um, at Columbia in film school, they had a list in the library of all the movies that they had on different formats. And w- one movie listed on 16mm uh, was Incubus. And I'm like, oh my God. And I knew a teacher who I knew would be into something like this. And I went to him and I'm like, Hey cuz I wanted to see it but you needed a, a, a you know a teacher to to sign out, sign out film. The, th- the film so I went to him and I'm like hey um there's this movie I don't know if you've heard of it called Incubus and he's like oh my god William Shatner Esperanto yes that movie's amazing and I'm like well I think this this school has a 16 millimeter print of it and he's like oh my god we need to get that out right now and he pulled it out and Of course, it was some crappy short film that some student made in the 70s, which did not have William Shatner or Esperanto in it. But I digress. Yeah. So he's the guy who created the show, Leslie Stevens. But he didn't really run the show. He was more of a, uh, you know, Rick Berman type figure, I guess. The show in season one was run by Joseph Stefano, who is a Star Trek alum. He wrote the Next Generation episode Skin of Evil. He's the guy who killed Tasha Yar. He's also... Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) He's also uh, probably much more famous. For his work in film, he was the screenwriter of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, which is one of the best movies ever made.
1: That's a thing you just said.
0: Which is totally accurate. It's not... He, like you were saying, tended to uh, go more Monster of the Week with his episodes. He apparently even had a mandate for uh, having a monster in each episode. Yeah. Um, something which they referred to as the bear. Yeah. When he left in season one and they brought on Ben Brady, who really hasn't done much else at all. He was much more of a producer than a writer. It seems.
1: Well, I mean, his main, the main thing that he did that was brilliant was he brought in really good writers. Yeah. That was, and like, ultimately that's really all you got to do.
0: Yeah. And, and they went much more hard sci-fi and season two, it's it's interesting because I've seen some things in doing some research where there's some people who are like
1: I've heard that hard sci-fi thing said many many times. Yeah, that is not really accurate. But okay, that's fine. Well, whatever.
0: <laughs> but see, season one, there are a lot of people out there who think that season one is like the way it should be. You know, like oh man, when you know after season what? one, yeah, this I've, is heard, a, this. Really? I, I've, I've heard this. Really, I've never heard that. Like man, season two, they decided to get all you know. Serious and stuff, but season one, it was like the fun season. You know,
1: that's really strange for me. Cause I actually find season one really boring. Well,
0: they they do like the, the more I would say, let's say, intellectual sci-fi uh, people, mm-hmm. like Harlan Ellison, for example, say season one was a piece of crap. Season two is brilliance. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm not gonna take a stand either way because I haven't. Well, seen. I, I can tell you a bunch of years ago,
1: they they started coming out on DVD. Yeah, And I got the season one set. And I was like, this is going to be fun. And I put it on and I watched a few episodes and I was like, I don't want to watch the next one yet. And like, you know, a couple of days go by. And then eventually I realized that I just was never going to watch another one. And then the season two set was coming out like a week, and I was like, alright, I'm just gonna burn through season one so I can get up there. And I don't know why I thought that I had to do this. Like, some sort of weird, nerd completism, like, gene that sort of flares up from time to time. Like, I was like, they're not in continuity, but I watched all of them, and and I really, by the end of it, I hated it. I hated The Hour Limit season one, like, passionately. Like, I was really enraged. And when I watched season two, I watched every single episode in a row, and every time I was like, this next one will probably be great, because, like, really good odds of that throughout season two. It's like the next one might not be great, but it could totally be because, you know, there's like at least a great one out of every three. Yeah. And like one of those is still good.
0: Yeah. Um. One, one other thing to note uh, that Star Trek fans might be uh, interested in is a lot of the monster effects, makeup, this, that here and there. Things which were used on the original series were taken from the Outer Limits, you know, costumes, you know, or like the Horda was originally designed for the Outer Limits, things like that. And there were a number of people behind the scenes from the Outer Limits who went on to do Star Trek. So if you're a fan of the original series and you check out the Outer Limits, you'll probably see a lot of familiar creatures. um, And props,
1: and props. There are definitely some recurring
0: props. Sure. Yeah. So, so that, that that's interesting. Now, um getting into specifics here. The first episode of season 2 was written by Harlan Ellison. It was called Soldier. Yeah. And it was based on his short story from 1957 called Soldier from Tomorrow. Now, we read the short story? Yeah. Want to give a synopsis?
1: Well, it's a really short story. the The point is that it's it's a really simple thing. There's a there's a brief little like interlude in the beginning where there's a there's a soldier in some sort of war. And there's a lot of description of the battle and the the chaos of it. It's a future war, and then he just wakes up. Like, well, not wakes up. He sort of through, just gets through, transported. Through a freak to present accident,
0: day. like the, yeah. a couple laser beams, like simultaneously shoot him. They cross the streams or something.
1: Some particular sci-fi right. nonsense occurs, and he ends up in the 20th century in the. 1960s,
0: 1960s, 1960s? The fifties or sixties, probably fifties. You know, modern day New, yeah. New York. I think, yeah, in, in like a subway station or something to that effect.
1: Yeah, and there's some, you know, like fish out of water nonsense that leads to him essentially being interviewed by government employees. Ba- basically,
0: basically, he freaks out, and you know, he's scared, and he basically blows up the front of the train, accidentally kills a guy, and they, you know, arrest him and throw him in jail.
1: Right, I'm trying to cut to the point where it okay. gets to the story. All right, Where yeah.
0: there's, a, where's a, there's, a, there's a scientist guy who's talking to him and he realizes that
1: this is a guy from the future and the nonsense that he's spouting is actually just English, but yeah. transformed over many years into a really difficult-to-comprehend form of yeah. English using the same words, just super abbreviated with a lot of slang words that have replaced other pre-existing words. It's
0: actually an idea that we talked about last week in regards to City on the Edge of Forever and how he uh, he was sort of uh, touching on that idea too, The you know the idea that someone coming from the future to the past is going to have a hard time understanding what people are saying because English changes over time.
1: Yeah. And... That's totally reasonable. But another interesting thing is that Harlan Ellison, throughout a lot of these things, seems to be writing sort of structurally similar concepts, mm-hmm. where he's more or less dealing with the difference between the future and the past, and action versus consequence, and how uh, ends can't justify the means in any context. And it's a really complicated idea, but he's exploring it in a lot of different ways in order to illustrate the point. And and the essentially this. Soldier explains to him the war, and and the guy asks him how he got there, and he's like, "I, I don't know anything about that. I'm I'm, I'm not a science science nerd. I, yeah. I don't. I'm not wearing. Even, I'm not even wearing glasses."
0: He's literally just a soldier. He's a jock. Yeah,
1: he, he's a jock from the future who doesn't know how any of it works. So um, so so the 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 intellectual guy decides to start warning people so that we can avoid this particular conflict. Uh, and I mean, obviously that doesn't go as planned, but essentially it's it's the story of a guy who doesn't really know anything about non war life mm-hmm. trying to integrate into a world where you're not constantly at war and of course it doesn't work
0: yeah well that that's something which is really interesting because after they get him and they discover what he is, then he almost becomes a secondary character, the soldier yeah and it becomes the second half of the of the story it, basically is kind of an internal monologue of the uh military guy who's basically been put in charge of what to do with him. So so basically what is decided upon after much, you know, hemming and hawing or whatever is that he's basically of no use to us in society and he's basically of no use to us as a soldier, but he could be of use to us as a peacemaker if he is able to uh, tell people what the world is like in the future and how it is the most horrific uh, battleground you could possibly imagine, then perhaps that would be enough to persuade the world to head in a direction of peace. And that is kind of how the story ends. But, of course, there is the lingering question of, do you think it's going to work? It seems to be working. We seem to be going in that direction, but we've still got like 1800 years until we reach that point. Sure. So, who's to say? Now, what did you think about the, the, the story?
1: Well, I read it um, the first time I read it, I was pretty young. And I recall thinking that, like a lot of time travel stories that deal with the future and the present day, it was a very clever way of doing a very big story on a very small scale which uh, I appreciated. And at the same time, there's a sort of like a plausibility to it. There's, this seems like a completely reasonable thing. Like, uh, you know, time travel scenarios always feature sort of like weird contrivances and the idea of an extremely inconvenient time travel scenario where a guy who doesn't know how it works is sent back in time and essentially has, has no idea what to do with that information. There's no real use for it. And he's basically just kind of stuck that was a very interesting idea, and the idea that that would be kind of a problem, uh, is very is very reasonable. I mean, essentially, they 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 deal with the whole "he's a wild animal" problem for a, a big chunk of the story, and uh, the Outer Limits version deals with that. Um, I think better, in fact.
0: Okay, well, I I I like the story a lot. Um, like you were saying, I like how it is extremely simple. Even though it's about these big concepts, it it takes it and puts it into a very very manageable level. Like I could see, like as I was reading it, I'm like, wow, I could totally see how you could do this on a TV budget because there really isn't that much science fiction stuff which is visible yeah. on screen. In fact, I think there was more in what was aired than there was in the actual uh, story. Well, the the benefit of that is that in the in the short story, there's a lot of talk.
1: There's a lot yeah. of describing the future.
0: There's describing the future, and there's also uh, there isn't much action in in yeah. the thing at all. And by, by action, I don't mean like Arnold Schwarzenegger action, which we'll get into a little bit later on. Well, I showing mean, rather than telling. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of telling. Right. There's a lot of talk. But. It's interesting
1: telling. It's it's, it's their interesting. interesting dialogue and and in a short story that's totally reasonable. You can you can tell your whole story in dialogue and, and and it works fine. Right. On the show it would be a little bit weird if he said, "Yeah, I'm from the future and we we're at war with these other guys. They're bad, we're good." No yeah. big deal. <laughs> but
0: the but the the story as it plays out is much more 12 angry men than Terminator 2, you know. Yes. So so, so that, that I thought was really cool, and I think it was, it was a very simple anti-war tale. I think it was very effective. I think the descriptions of the future were really interesting. Like, it does seem kind of timeless, like the way that they were describing his clothes and everything like that. I'm like, wow, this is really, yeah. um, really well done. And if someone were to tell me that it was written in 1957, I'd be like, really? Because I would have guessed, like, 1995. But um, Well, I mean, you just pushed the Terminator button yeah so I mean that
1: that movie definitely was inspired by the idea of the future being a nebulous sort of intangible context, yeah, but the present day is it's the right. present day you you can move beyond nineteen eighty and everyone still knows that that happened, yeah, it doesn't date it because that's when it occurred,
0: yeah so for the for the episode, like we were saying, a few things changed um for one thing. There was a second soldier, yeah, which kind of it gets stuck in the time field for a while and then pops up at the end. It's a little strange,
1: well, you know how <clears throat> time travel works generally speaking, when somebody um, accidentally goes back in time, somebody else goes accidentally back in time with them, but shows up in the past a little bit later
0: right but the, the that's just work, but the main story itself the the soldier played by Michael Ansara, who played uh kang on on Star Trek, yeah he comes back in in much the same manner, but once he gets here, the scientist guy basically decides to take him under his wing and try to find a way to get him to integrate into society. He takes him home to live with his family. He really works with him on his language skills and trying to communicate. Which, by the way, would make a killer sitcom. I kept on thinking the same (laughs) thing. I'm like, this feels kind of sitcom-y. You know, there's like a whole thing with his son and how his son is picking up the slang from the future. Yeah. It's really like the daughter, and the daughter is not taking any crap from him. It's like Mr. Belvedere, if Mr. Belvedere had really severe PTSD from a war in the future. It's like Small Wonder, but with a Klingon instead of a little girl. It's like Elf, if Elf killed tons of people. (laughs) Yeah, you know, any of these things. Um, There
1: are a lot of different TV show concepts. It's like Harry and the Hendersons, if it was exactly like that show was that no one remembers, because it was that stupid.
0: <laughs> but then, in the end, things go badly, and the other guy shows up, and some other stuff happens, and, and it's it's much more complicated. It's a much more complicated narrative. Not yeah. to say that it's a complicated narrative, but it's a much more complicated narrative than the short story
1: the short story is a very simple thing it's like there's a guy from the future hey let's not do that mm-hmm. uh the the other episode it's a guy from the future how are we gonna deal with him he's kind of crazy and uh, he's dangerous oh there's another guy from the future oh that guy that we just made friends with totally killed that dude because he protected us because he was a person oh or because he always did that and that was his programming yeah it's kind of a tough call all right it would be really helpful if he wasn't dead we could ask him <laughs>
0: I mean, what did you think about the episode? You said you liked it more than the short story?
1: No, I, I like the short story more, but I think that um, many elements are handled better in the episode. Uh, I think that the uh, the dialogue between people makes, makes a lot of the weird sort of decisions that are made uh, make a lot more sense. Sort of the, the, the professor studying the guy from the future in the short story feels difficult to believe. I, I have a hard time buying into his his character as a guy who's talking to a man from the future and is like, "I should go on the road and tell people to not go to war because of this." That's a really strange leap. Mm-hmm. and And when there is sort of a back and forth between various people, like the guy saying, "I want to take this guy home and 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 teach him to you know live with people, it makes a lot of sense in that context like it makes more sense because of the the the, the political essential the political dynamic at play, and that helped it that helped the plausibility of the present day events for me
0: okay. Yeah, I definitely thought that the story was better than the episode. I mean, I guess the episode is okay, but it it kind of really drags at the end. And the whole time I kept on thinking, like, when are we going to get to this cool, you know, thing at the end where where they turn him into an instrument for peace and never really happens quite the way that it does in the book. And uh, the, the episode seemed a lot cheesier. You know, like like the the description of his clothes in the uh, in, in the story, like if yeah. like I kept on thinking like wow, you know this sounds like basically the way that they costume superhero movies today. Like I I could basically see them like sticking the Superman suit from Man of Steel on this dude and being like boom, that's his clothing. And it's like I can totally see that as an alien's clothing, and then you or as as a future guy's clothing. Future, yeah. And then you know you you see the episode, and it's like. Captain Proton, and it's like, wow, you know, are you guys taking this seriously or not?
1: Very appropriate reference.
0: Do you, do you not, you know, do you not understand what he's doing here? And where was Ellison to be like, dude? Do you not understand that this guy looks ridiculous here?
1: I think that what happened was that they got to, they got to that page and they were like, he's a soldier from the future. What do people from the future look like? And they read the description and they're like, uh, we can't just make that. We've got literally
0: five days sure to shoot this whole sure thing. but i mean this really looks like they took something out of storage and they were like future guy like they, there was a box labeled future guy costume
1: see to me to me it reads like the entire thing reads like they thought soldier from the future uh he's wearing body armor um let's get some old-timey body armor like a, like a knight and retrofit it with some shiny,
0: glowy things, and and put a little. Did you see? He had a little uh, lightning bolt stitched on his sleeve. Yeah, because yeah. that's the, futuristic.
1: They're 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 indicating that he's a he's a soldier, and they're they're creating a visual motif that says soldier in a way that we already understand. It's kind of weird. It's yeah. a strange choice, but I mean, the the design aesthetics are constantly in flux.
0: I, I did like the uh, the portrayal of the future world. It, it, was, it was very similar to Terminator, which we'll get into in a second. But well, I, that, for like the scale that they did there, and I was reading a little bit about it, how they shot it on something called like the sunset stage at Paramount, which is like three times the size of a normal stage, and it has sky in the background. And I imagine it was, generally speaking, used for things like... Gone with the Wind, you know? But yeah. here they were like, let's turn it into a crazy future ter- terrifying thing. And that set was really impressive. The effects there, I thought, for what they were going for were really effective. And I, I was really impressed by what they did with that that little scene in the future. Yeah. But um, once they got back to nineteen sixty four America. It's like, ah, what are you guys doing? It really is sort of like leave it to Beaver Land. Um and and it, it just seemed really clunky to me. I don't know. It it did not work nearly as well as the short story.
1: Well, sure. There's there's a lot of stuff in the short story that that is almost impossible to capture in in live action. The the descriptions of the future war are so intricate. And poetic that I, I could easily see somebody reading it and just going like that sounds cool. I have no idea what that would look like. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, like when I when I when I first read it, like the first thing I thought was, I think that somebody read this. And it's it seeped into their brain, and over the course of several years they kept they kept seeing it in their head, and eventually they were like oh, I know how this would look. And then they put that into a
0: movie called Terminator because the future war looks exactly like it's described. Well, we've been dancing around this long enough. Let's get into this. The Terminator. James Cameron, 1984, 20 years after this episode aired, 27 years after the short story had been written, this movie comes out. Yeah, Everyone is familiar with The Terminator. If you haven't seen The Terminator turn this podcast off right now and go watch The Terminator and then come back. We'll wait for you.
1: I'm not going to wait.
0: Okay, fine. We won't wait for you. So, if you watch The Terminator, depending on what copy you have, but on almost all copies which exist today, (laughs) (laughs) at the end of the movie, you will see a credit, which is very vague, which says the producers wish to acknowledge the works of Harlan Ellison. Well, what it means is that basically, Harlan Ellison, upon becoming aware of the plot of the Terminator, specifically the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. felt that he was being ripped off and thought that, you know, he, whether I guess intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know, Soldier was a, a primary influence on that aspect of the film, and Harlan Ellison brought a lawsuit against James Cameron and the producers of the film. Yeah. Cameron denies that, you know, he, he acknowledges that Outer Limits was an influence and that, you know, it's quite possible that, you know, he took things from there subliminally or abstractly, but by no means was he trying to rip off Harlan Ellison with Soldier. Regardless of this, it would have been it would have been hard to prove. I think everyone is, is sort of in agreement that it would have been really hard to prove. But so as not to um, drag things out any further, a decision was made to settle out of court. Yeah,
1: it would be very difficult to argue that there was no influence.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it seems kind of fuzzy to argue that it was a very significant influence.
0: I mean, if you ask me, I think it's it's fairly clear that yes. James Cameron had seen this episode of Outer Limits. Yes. But at the same time I think any uh anything beyond a passing influence or a half remembered dream or thought or whatever is is not there. You know, I don't think he was dissecting this and then, you know, sticking it in his movie.
1: Right. I think that the, it's part of the weird way that Harlan Ellison thinks Harlan Ellison is very smart. And I think that I've heard Harlan Ellison say that everything is ripped off of something else and he can actually cite to you all the places that things are being ripped off from. And uh, he's probably got a point because he can actually probably tell you every single influence for all of his works. And so it would be easy for him to see other people as ripping him off because people aren't able to remember everything the way he is because he's got a ridiculously powerful brain. And it works like a computer. It's it's intricate. It's it's meticulous.
0: Yeah, you know, even even in Star Trek, Arena, you know, by Gene Kuhn is credited as based on a story by someone else, and hmm. he wrote that as an original screenplay, and then someone in the uh, production discovered this short story, which was very very similar, and you know, it was one which he had probably read and forgotten about completely accidental it is what it is you know this i think is even is even less that well check out the episode check out the movie decide decide for yourself
1: yeah read the short story that's the one where the the comparison becomes kind of difficult to hide
0: yeah and Uh, as far as as Star Trek people are concerned we did mention Michael Ansara is in this. He plays the the lead. He plays the soldier in the episode and he of course played Kang the Klingon in Day of the Dove and Blood Oath and Flashback and Voyager. So um, Uh, he also is the voice of uh, Mr. Freeze on Batman the animated series. So that's cool. I did not know that. Yeah. Alright. Any final thoughts on Soldier? There's a lot of things
1: that I like about a lot of Harlan Ellison's work. I really like how cleverly he he builds his stories in weird metaphorical ways, despite never straying too far away from plausibility, even though he gets into some really weird stuff. It's always sort of rooted in a kind of logic, which I think a lot of people don't really get. Even his really weird concepts like... Repent, Harlequin said the TikTok man. There's a sort of plausibility to them, and Soldier is not an exception. And I think that more than anything else, that hard SF with big picture stuff is the real inspiration that James Cameron got from him, because Ellison was certainly one of the earliest guys to do that super super well, yeah. and that is basically James Cameron's whole thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, I, I do like this short story and episode. I, I like the short story a lot more than the episode. I think the episode was trying to be too much of a TV show and didn't really take advantage of, of how simple the story was. But I can't say that is bad. And it is interesting to look at it in terms of the Terminator comparison as well. All right. So, Max, Colin's yeah. show, Trek News and Views, it's ending. It is indeed episode one hundred. It's it's being released, uh, I think, this week or last week. I don't, I can't keep track of these things. But we're both on it, yeah. And and you can uh, take a listen to that over on Trek FM, as well as the other shows on the network.
1: Previously on Trek Standard Orbit.
0: TOS remastered
1: with Dave Rossi. We took one day, and we all went down in front of a green screen. I uh, I had a Captain Kirk shirt on. I don't remember where I got it from. Oh, yes, I do. My closet. Earl Grey. Insinrow commentary. Here we have someone who is kind of bucking authority and is kind of trying to be to go against the grain, but she she does it in a way that shows that she has some sort of depth of character. The orb.
0: way commentary. I love that he says, "What what does fun have to do with Major Kira and James <laughs> Darren's life?" <laughs> no, what, what do you mean, what is fun? Uh, come on. Baseball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The ready room. The catwalk. But this was a really – his
1: trainer, Scott Rowe, was talking about in the interview I did with him back in the day how this was a hard show because normally when they had Porthos, it was Scott and Porthos working. And uh, maybe one other character or two other characters. And these – if you watch how Porthos was in this show – they kind of had him in the quarters with Scott and I watched most of the show I didn't see the last nth degree of it but most of the time they were they would do stuff with him like peeking out of a bulkhead and and all that
0: to the journey USS Voyager
1: if it was like really blooming with color you're like oh they're going really fast or something's happening like you could yeah Excited. like it was instantly you, <laughs> yeah you instantly knew exactly what was going on and if Q jr is on board it becomes a disco commentary Trek stars. Harlan Ellison. Harlan Ellison is a crazy person because only a crazy person could come up with such an amazing name for a sci-fi drug. Come on, that's so much better than bath salts. Why don't we call them the jewels of sound? Warp 5. Trip Tucker. You know, they're not really career Starfleet people. Even though Trip has had a career in Starfleet, he's an engineer, you know, and and that's what he does and that's what he loves. And so all this other stuff's really new to him.
0: Literary Treks. The best of Klingons. We haven't talked about it yet, Chris, but there is one Klingon in here that is not like the other. That's right. One of these Klingons is not, not like, like the, the other. other. <laughs> one of these Klingons doesn't belong. One of these Klingons is a friend of the Federation. <laughs> one of these Klingons and Bryce will get along. <laughs> wow, this show has gone off the rails And that's what else is happening on
1: Trek.fm.
0: So check out these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. We have new shows for you every day, and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. So, So if you haven't read Harlan Ellison's Soldier, which we both highly recommend. Yes, you should do that. Or even better. You could have someone read it to you. No, you can't. Yes, you can. Stop lying. No, I'm not lying. It's It's the future. It's the future, and the future is Audible.com, who sponsors uh, commentary track stars. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for, like Soldier. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics, like Soldier, to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a 30-day trial, to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read, like Soldier, or the latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com/slash trekfm. And we thank you and Audibles for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek FM. So, as always, you can find us on Trek FM, or you can find our other show, Commentary, Trek Stars Off Topic, on CommentaryTrackStars.com, which we do with our friend Brandon, who is actually sitting in the room. Creepily watching us as we do this now.
1: Like the smoking man in many episodes of The X Files.
0: <laughs> yep. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars or email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. And we will be back next week with Tisto to talk about Harlan Ellison's other episode of The Outer Limits Demon with a Glass Hand.